Today on Inside Politics, Hunter in the House. The president's son making a surprise appearance on Capitol Hill to watch a House committee meeting call it to hold him in contempt of Congress. Chaos, shall we say, ensued. Plus, it's debate night in Des Moines. Get ready for Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to go head-to-head for the first time, live on CNN. The stakes incredibly high, with just five days left for the top Trump alternatives to chip away at his massive lead. And demanding answers. Multiple investigations are now underway after the Pentagon waited weeks to reveal the defense secretary was battling cancer. Why was even President Biden kept in the dark until yesterday? I'm Manu in for Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, Capitol Hill meets reality TV. A wild scene unfolded today as House Republicans were starting to move towards punishing Hunter Biden for refusing to sit for a closed-door deposition when the president's son showed up. Hunter Biden has been asking to testify in public, but today he was silent, instead just watching as Republicans grew angrier and angrier. Who bribed Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, Second question, you are the epitome of white privilege, coming into the Oversight Committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and... Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman... If the general lady wants to hear from Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from Hunter Biden. What are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order. Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Because you keep interrupting me. I'll interrupt the chairman. I don't know that he's a lady. I think that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of come law on, come on. and the premise come that on. the law applies equally to everyone, no matter what your last Point of order, Mr. Chairman. CNN's Melanie Zanona is on Capitol Hill. Well, Melanie, you were in the middle of all that chaos. Take us through that moment. Yeah, I was definitely trying to channel my inner Manu amid all the chaos and the cameras going on. But look, this was already going to be a very contentious moment here on Capitol Hill. There are two committees, both House Oversight and House Judiciary, who are poised to recommend today that the president's son be held in contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with a closed-door deposition. But Hunter's surprise appearance really injected even more drama and more political theatrics into the already unprecedented situation. We started hearing so what minutes before really the hearing that Hunter Biden might be showing up. Our colleague Annie Greer that confirmed that reporting. He showed up. He sat in the audience and listened for about 20 minutes and then he exited. But before he left the building, his lawyer did make a brief statement about why he was here today. Let's listen. The Republican chairs today then are commandeering an unprecedented resolution to hold someone in contempt who has offered to publicly answer all their proper questions. The question there is, what are they afraid of? 
So the point that Hunter Biden was trying to make today and has been making in the lead up to this moment is that he is willing to publicly testify under oath and that if Republicans really wanted to hear from him, he could. But Republicans have really pushed back. They say this is not how this works. He doesn't get to dictate the terms of his appearance, although we should note that there were several Republicans who in the last session of Congress refused to apply with a congressional subpoena with the January 6th Select Committee. Now, ultimately, it is going to be up to the DOJ to determine whether to prosecute Hunter Biden over this. That's assuming that this resolution passes the full House, which we're hearing could happen as soon as next week. But Manu, just a remarkable showdown here on Capitol Hill today between congressional Republicans and the president's son as Republicans continue to try to pursue an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Circus on Capitol Hill. Go figure. Melanie Zona in the middle of all of it. Thank you for that. And now I want to bring in my roundtable of great reporters this on this uh, afternoon. CNN's Casey Hunt, Laura Barron Lopez of the PBS NewsHour, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Tia Mitchell. All right. What a morning. What a now afternoon. <laughs> but what a morning moment. it was. Yep. It was. <laughs> this just, what do you think about what happened here in, in, in Hunter Biden's decision to show up? Clearly, he knew, he, no one knew, this was a surprise. Actually, the last time he appeared to, to make that public statement, that was also a surprise, caught everybody off guard. This is clearly designed to try to derail the proceedings. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it's part of a new, much more aggressive strategy from Hunter Biden and his team to try to make sure that what Republicans are saying about him doesn't go unanswered. I think kind of the old playbook for something like this would be to try and always take the high road, especially if you're the child of a president who's running for reelection, right? Don't respond. Don't give more oxygen to what's going on. I think Donald Trump really changed uh, the playbook and the way that uh, people think, you know, how in particular voters are going to respond, that they think that people want to see uh, you fighting, uh, that if you let the allegations go unchallenged, uh, that you basically are, are mincemeat uh, for kind of the sort of churn of our national media. And that's what you saw today. I mean, honestly, I'm really interested to know what, they, what it needed done in the White House uh, and other Biden officials thought about how they're doing this. But I get why they did it if you're, if you're trying to defend Hunter Biden. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point because mm -hmm. we had not really seen Hunter Biden over the last couple of years. And now suddenly he's much more visible, as Casey's saying, a clear shift in strategy. Yeah, I mean, the White House was never going to forcefully or publicly uh, support him or defend him. You know, the president and his aides will say, look, that he loves his son and he supports his son, but they're not going to be out there trying to counteract everything that the Republicans are doing. They want to show that there is a separation from the Justice Department and from them. And I think that there was a lot of frustration from Hunter Biden and those that are helping him and his, and his lawyers because they they realize that the White House and that Democrats were never going to provide a support system for him. And so that's why I think what led to this shift, because if if no one else was going to go out there and publicly defend him, he needed to go out there and publicly yeah. defend himself and counteract uh, everything that Republicans are saying. And before you jump in, Tia, I want to just go to the White House real quickly to try to get the, the reaction from the president or his team, if there is any, because to, as, as we know, Hunter Biden has been a very touchy subject, even among for top Biden aides. So CNN's Arlette Signs is outside the White House. Did the White House know about Hunter's plan to show up here, and, and are they supportive of it? 
Well, Manu, we're still waiting to hear whether the White House or President Biden himself had any types of heads up that Hunter Biden would be appearing up on Capitol Hill today. We know that in the past, when Hunter Biden went and spoke outside of the Capitol that day that he did not show up for his closed door deposition, we know that the president was familiar with his remarks at that time. Of course, Hunter Biden and his lawyers had argued that he was willing to sit down with these committees if it was in a public venue. But we are still waiting to hear if in this exact instance, uh, whether the White House had any heads up. Of course, heading into these meetings today, they said that they were pushing back against what they describe as baseless attacks amid these House GOP investigations, saying that these committee members, Republicans, are simply interested in playing politics at this moment. But there have been moments where the White House and, Biden, and Hunter Biden's legal team didn't exactly see eye to eye on the more aggressive strategy approach. But really, they've taken, the White House has taken this hands-off approach, not engaging in every twist and turn of Hunter Biden. Biden's legal drama, and we'll wait to see what, what they'll have to say a little bit later today yeah. about uh, his appearance today. And I'm sure Republicans will be asking, did the president talk to his son about this? Well, I'm not sure they'll get those answers. Arlette Sines, thanks for this. Uh, Tia, let's talk about the, the president. How do you think the president views this moment right now? They don't want to be talking about Hunter Biden. They want to be talking about their agenda or Donald Trump. Yeah, I think the president, I would guess that the president is frustrated about it all. You know, he feels that his son is being targeted. He feels like it's politically motivated to hurt him, his administration, and his campaign. But I think that the president is kind of old school, so he probably isn't great on the spectacle. But to Casey's point, the spectacle is out of the Donald Trump playbook, mm -hmm. crafting the narrative in a way that speaks to regular people and not people inside the beltway who care about the decorum and the tradition and history. That's what this is all about, because Hunter Biden and his team are saying we're not worried, maybe not even worried about the White House, definitely not worried about Congress, but for the people watching at home who can say, well, he showed up. Why would you, right. why would that be a problem? And that's a good way to just remind folks what the dispute yeah. is about. Remember, Hunter Biden has agreed to come testify publicly, but Republicans want him privately first. They say, yeah, public can happen down the line, but we want a deposition to happen first. Hunter Biden's team said they would cherry pick, that distort that closed door testimony. That's what they're saying, why he would not show up to that, that deposition, why he defied the subpoena. This played out in the hearing today. There was a back and forth between a Democratic congressman and the chairman of the committee. It got a little heated. After the deposition, Mr. Biden can come in front of a public hearing. Mr. Chairman, I don't want to play the video, but that is not what you said on television multiple times. We have the quotes. We can put them up. You said the witness can choose between a deposition Listen, or- Mr. Moskowitz. Mr. Biden doesn't make the rules. We make the no, rules. That, no, Mr. Chairman, you make the rules. No, you issued those subpoenas after he took you up on your invitation to come. And then you were like, oh, no, no. Oh, my God. What did we what did I do? Look, I mean, the thing about I mean, these investigations, though, the Republicans would say, this is how typically what happens. You have deposed the witness behind closed doors, then you have him publicly. But of course, this is different because this is the president's son. Uh, right. And I mean, look, he's, they're not the first ones to be concerned about uh, private testimony. I mean, why are they concerned about it? They're concerned that selective portions of it will be leaked and that the public will not have access to the whole But that happens story. all the time, too. But yes, it is a tale as old as Congress, um, <laughs> for, or at least uh, our modern investigations. I mean, I think that the, the, the very simple thing here, and, and and Moskowitz was a, a, a pretty um, 
you know, he was he was very prosecutorial in how he went after Comer at the top of this uh, hearing. He also, uh, you know, put into the record all of the times that Republican members of Congress, Scott Perry, even Kevin McCarthy, uh, Jim Jordan, defied subpoenas in the wake of the January 6th uh, attacks on the Capitol. Um, and I do think kind of what we were getting at before you played uh, that soundbite really is the top line here for the average voter. What are they trying to cut through with? They're just trying to say simply, well, they asked for him to show up. He showed up. They didn't want to talk to him. Sure. Right. And the question is, how do voters respond? This is just a poll showing where things are right now on how the whether the republic supports an impeachment inquiry to President Biden, because after all, this is what it's about. Forty nine percent approve, 48 percent disapprove. This all comes, this split electorate comes as House Republicans themselves are not sure about we're talking to a bunch of them. They're not sure if they actually will go forward with an articles of impeachment against Joe Biden because of the fact that there simply is not enough support at the moment and they have a narrow majority. Even one congresswoman who's been pushing for Biden's impeachment since day one, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and suggested as such just to me yesterday. We are going to impeach Mayorkas, and we'll be having those two hearings this month uh, moving into impeachment. Um, we, it doesn't look like we're moving towards an impeachment vote for Joe Biden as of yet, uh, so, but we're still working through that investigation in our oversight committee. I mean, the conference wants to go after somebody. It seems like Alejandro Mayorkas, who's facing his first impeachment hearing today, is going to be the target at the moment rather than Joe Biden. Yeah, he looks like the easy target for Republicans right now because of the fact that they are, as you said, split about whether or not to impeach President Biden. I think this is a bit of a runaway train, though. I mean, the fact that they opened an impeachment inquiry, I think that means that eventually they will have that vote. Now, whether or not they have enough votes to actually impeach the president is another question. But there are so many Republicans that want to just have that vote. And as you know, Manu, I mean, Speaker Johnson is in a precarious position. And so anything that he can do to mm -hmm. keep those conservatives on his side, the ones that really want that impeachment vote, regardless of whether or not there is any evidence to back it up, I think means that we are likely headed for it, even if it takes a few and, months. And that precarious position of Speaker Johnson, we'll talk about later in the show right. as well, so make sure you <laughs> tune in for that. All right, a live look at the CNN debate stage right now, and that's where, for the first time, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis will be going head-to-head. This will be one of their final chances to change the dynamics of the race, with just five days left until the Iowa caucuses. We're live from Iowa next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. 
Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, the final face-off before the Iowa caucuses right here on CNN. With five days until the Iowa the caucuses, it's a critical night for both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, perhaps, perhaps their final chance to reach those crucial undecided voters. Donald Trump, the dominant frontrunner, will not be there. Yet again, he's skipping a primary debate, which so far has not hurt him, especially in, not in Iowa. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is in Des Moines. Jeff, there is still a lot on the line tonight between these two candidates. Oh, Monty, there's so much on the line tonight and in the next uh, coming days because both candidates are hoping to amplify the arguments uh, they make on stage tonight. But for the Florida governor, there is no doubt that Iowa is where he needs to uh, revive his campaign. And they've really been working at it for more than a year through organization, through a ground effort. Uh, but he knows that he needs to slow the rise of Nikki Haley, not only here in Iowa, but also in New Hampshire, of course. So that is what he is planning on doing it tonight. He's been in deep a debate to preparations, we're told. He's going to challenge her South Carolina record when she was governor. Of course, that was a different time in the Republican Party during the era of the Tea Party. She was elected in 2010. For her part, she has done very well in these debates, but she's never been one-on-one -on -one with just a single rival. She's benefited, of course, from having Chris Christie on stage, having Vivek Ramaswamy off stage. But tonight, it is one-on-one, -on -one, a chance for these Iowa voters to size up these two Trump leading alternatives, of course, with the overall goal of one of them going head to head with Donald Trump. And Jeff, uh, Ron DeSantis' super PAC is out with a new ad today targeting Nikki Haley's comments about New Hampshire, quote, correcting Iowa's results. How do Iowans react to Haley's comments? Look, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. There's been a long-running history of sort of some competition between Iowa and New Hampshire. The first in the nation caucus is here. The first in the nation primaries in New Hampshire. But uh, Nikki Haley sort of stepped in it a bit a couple weeks ago when she said the New Hampshire result can correct the Iowa result. Well, the DeSantis Super PAC is making sure Iowans know about that. Haley told New Hampshire what she really thinks about Iowa. You know Iowa starts it. You know that you correct it. <laughs> New Hampshire corrects Iowa. Oh, my God. Nikki doesn't respect you. She thinks New England knows better. Look, when we've asked so many voters about this, uh, to Nikki Haley's supporters and fans, they're not bothered by this at all. Uh, to a DeSantis uh, supporters, they believe that this is the thing that's going to finally slow her rise. We'll see about that. The reality is this uh, is likely to uh, turn on uh, policy issues for some. DeSantis is making a hard pitch to evangelical voters. Nikki Haley is making an electability pitch that she is the one who can beat uh, President Biden in the general election, she says. So, look, uh, these are certainly uh, some of the uh, sideshows, if you will, that might affect things on the margin. But there's no doubt that what happens here on the debate stage tonight is important but also, Manu, organization, because the weather forecast, very important here in politics, it is going to be below zero, perhaps 15 below on Monday. Mm. That's why a strong ground game is essential.
Yes, indeed. Right. I suspect we'll be hearing about those Iowa, New Hampshire comments tonight. I'm just going to guess if that's a, take that wild guess. Jeff Zeleny out sure in Des Moines. Will. Thanks so much. As we said, Trump is skipping tonight's debate in Iowa. Tomorrow he'll be back inside a New York courtroom. And unlike his appearance yesterday in Washington, the court actually may hear directly from the former president. CNN's Elena Train is with me. Elena, what do you know? Yeah, well, Manu, uh, we are learning that not only is Donald Trump planning to be in court uh, for his New York civil fraud trial tomorrow, but his team is also making preparations for him uh, to potentially speak during the closing arguments. Now, here's where things currently stand, according to the great reporting from our colleagues. Uh, Donald Trump's team and the judge in the case have been having discussions about whether or not Donald Trump would be able uh, to show up and speak on his behalf for the defense. Um, but the judge is inclined to allow him to do so with some restrictions, and that's according to uh, CNN's Lauren DelVal. Now, we're told uh, from our conversations with Donald Trump's team that Trump doesn't want any restrictions if he's going to speak. So it's still very unclear whether or not uh, we're going to hear from the former president tomorrow. But look, um, I do think we should just point out some caveats here. Uh, Trump has said repeatedly in the past that he wanted to play a larger role in his team's defense. Just last month, uh, he had plans to testify in this case and then canceled that testimony at the last minute. So even if Donald Trump and his team uh, agree on some of the parameters around what speaking in court tomorrow would look like, that doesn't mean that this is a done deal and that, you know, he won't cancel at the last minute. And just to take a step back, Manu, and think about the political strategy of all of this, um, Donald Trump and his team recognizes that this would be a great distraction away uh, from his rivals on the trail. Tonight is the CNN debate with DeSantis and Haley. Um, and Having this court appearance tomorrow and Donald Trump speaking himself would be a great way to suck the oxygen away from that as we look forward to Monday. Yeah, no question about it. Effort to try to get the attention back on him. Go figure. All right, Elena Train, thank you for that report. My panel is back here in the room. Uh, thank you. What do you think about the, the DeSantis, uh, Haley back and forth? What, what do we, actually, before you jump in, I want to just give viewers just a taste of what DeSantis and Haley have been saying each other of, about each other in the last few days. It has not been particularly nice. Donald Trump's running for his issues. Nikki Haley's running for her donors' issues. I'm running for your issues. Ron doesn't defeat Biden. Trump is head to head with Biden. On a good day, he's up by two. Wall Street Journal had him up by four. I'm in every one of those same polls. And I defeat Biden by 17 points. You have people like Nikki Haley that care more about the Ukraine border than she does about our own border. Why don't you ask him why he banned offshore drilling and why the Sierra Club loves him? So the first time they're together, one-on-one, -on -one, Trump not there, those other opponents not there, is their strategy to attack each other or Trump? Well, I think it depends on which one of them you're talking about. I think Ron DeSantis may be a little bit more eager to attack Nikki Haley directly, but I do think both of them are going to have to sharpen their attack. Now that it's one-on-one, -on -one, there's going to be no one else for them to really talk about or talk to but each other. So just by virtue of the, the dynamics of the debate, um, I do think DeSantis also has sharpened his attacks against former President Trump in ways we don't hear as much from Mickey Haley, perhaps because it's a little bit more problematic for her because she used to work for the guy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting that this is coming so late in the game for both of them, quite frankly. And we just can't ignore the fact that in Iowa, they're still competing against each other for a distant second. Yeah.
And it, it, I was just going to say, when you're talking about the attacks, the attacks have not been, they've not gone over Trump's character. They have not gone after his character. It's been about whether it's DeSantis on policy, flip-flopping. It's a Haley about chaos. It has not been going after Trump's character. Do they change that this close to the Iowa caucuses, or do you think they stick to the familiar line of attacks? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, we've all been waiting for that this entire time. I mean, and I would sort of expand that to say it's like, his legal problems, right? Like all the issues he's yeah. going to have in a general election if he's... They're almost right. rallying behind him on the legal stuff. Right, right. right. And they, they sort of have to. I mean, if you talk to a, a lot of Republicans off the record um, or, you know, on background, they will say that Trump getting indicted was actually a real turning point in this primary and that it sort of solidified um, Trump's base to get that, get out there and defend him. I mean, Manu, I got to say, I'm looking for one thing tonight. I'm looking to see whether or not Nikki Haley makes a mistake that jeopardizes the trajectory that she's on. Because mm -hmm. right now, she has put herself on one that gives her a shot of denting uh, Donald Trump's kind of the, the, the sense of inevitability around his, his nomination, right? Um, this is going to be really the first test for her to stand on a stage one-on-one, -on -one, as Zelenie noted, um, and to actually show that what he has been out there saying about her isn't true, which is that when the scrutiny lights are the hottest, she doesn't stand up. I mean, yeah. presidential campaigns are an incredible crucible um, in a way that, you know, other campaigns for governor, et cetera, are not, as you know mm -hmm. uh, very well. So that's honestly my big question here. How does she perform? Um, if she can come out of this the way she's come out of the other debates, I think we are in for a really interesting couple weeks. If she makes a mistake, uh, a very clear mistake, then I think we could be having a different conversation yeah. here in a and week. If she's spending days cleaning it up like she mm -hmm. did with the Civil War comments, that'll also be a different conversation. Just to get a sense on the money that's been spent in the final weeks here, just in Iowa, this is ad spending since January 1st. Pro-Haley groups, whether it's the campaign or Super PAC, together $7.6 million. She is outspending both DeSantis and Trump, pretty much doubling uh, Trump right there, more than doubling him. Uh, do you think, if, if can, is it possible Haley can come out on top in Iowa and not be Trump necessarily, but beat DeSantis? And what would that mean for DeSantis's campaign if I that happens? I think, yeah, she could potentially beat DeSantis. And again, DeSantis is already facing some calls to drop out. So I think that if he were to come in third, then he's going to face a lot more pressure to just bow out, to potentially give Haley a, a, an even greater shot at trying to catch Trump in New Hampshire and in other states. But again, even though she is closing that gap in a state like New Hampshire, when you look at the following state, South Carolina and others, she still has this massive double digit uh, distance between her and Trump. He's leading her by double digits and even in her own state. Mm -hmm. And so the likelihood that she's going to be able to catch him I'm skeptical about. I mean, I think it's frankly just stunning that she and DeSantis have not attacked Trump at all on the legal mm -hmm. matters or the character matters, even going so far as to say that they'd pardon him. And the one person we will not see on the debates each night is Chris Christie. Of course, he has not really been playing in Iowa at all. He's got a full-on New Hampshire play. But given that we've seen the polls shift in Haley's direction in recent weeks, including just our CNN poll yesterday, he's facing growing calls that he should step aside. He should get consolidate behind Nikki Haley, who could be the Trump alternative here that emerges. He has been pushing back on those calls, including at a campaign stop in New Hampshire yesterday. Let's say I dropped out of the race right now. And I supported Nikki Haley. And then three months from now, four months from now, when we get ready to go to the convention, she comes out and is his vice president. What will I look like? What will all the people who supported her at my behest look like when she's up on a stage in Milwaukee 
with her hands up like this with Donald Trump. Does this idea that she has not ruled out being a VP for Trump have any impact among those moderate New Hampshire voters who are getting behind her campaign? I mean, I do think it has impact on those who want a clean break from Donald Trump. Now, again, when you're speaking to a Republican primary electorate, I don't know if there's... We know that there's a huge chunk of Republicans who don't necessarily feel that way, and they might even be more comfortable with Nikki Haley on the ticket thinking that she can help, you know, bring some some gravitas and some seriousness to um, to a Trump White House, quite frankly. But I think Chris Christie is making a point that if you're truly anti-Trump, you're truly never Trump, you're truly let's move on, then if you're willing to pardon him or serve on a ticket with him, you don't really qualify for that. And he's saying he can't support her for that reason. I think, I mean, I, I do think he's making a valid point because at the end of the day, Nikki Haley has indicated that she will support Trump if he's the nominee and she hasn't ruled out serving under him again. And really just underscores the significance of Iowa. She does better than expected. She seems to have a ton of momentum going into New Hampshire that could hurt Chris Christie and we'll see what happens to him with his donor money in particular. Okay, coming up for us, hardline Republicans are turning on Speaker Mike Johnson. Will he face the same fate as Kevin McCarthy? I'll talk to a top member of the Freedom Caucus next. A dramatic display in a Congress already marred by chaos. Hunter Biden crashing a House committee hearing for holding him in contempt of Congress. This is absurd and inappropriate. I intend to give my statement. I don't intend to have anybody interrupt it. I'm not going to interrupt your statements. I think you should have decorum and courtesy and don't act like a bunch of nimrod. Okay, this coming as Congress is once again steering down a shutdown deadline. And conservatives are once again angry with the deal cut by their leader. Joining me now is South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman. He's a member of the Freedom Caucus. Congressman Norman, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, you've been in favor of moving forward on impeachment proceedings uh, with this president. Uh, but there simply is running out of time where the congressional calendar is closing. You have a very narrow majority. Are you concerned that simply that time may be running out for actually moving ahead with articles of impeachment for Joe Biden? Well, it's two separate issues, Manu. I mean, the, the impeachment of Biden, Mayorkas, and so many others is secondary to, and that can go on while we're uh, deciding what to do on the budget. But the fact of the matter is the solvency of our country and the decisions on what we spend, which up till now is, is not looking good because you can't continue to spend more money than we make and add to the debt. So, um, you know, it's, it's designed like this. I've seen this movie real play out since I've been here for six years. Wait to the final minute and then all of a sudden, oh, we, you know, we, we're going to have to get serious about the budget. Well, our budget ended uh, in September. Uh, you start a new budget, and mm -hmm. so we should have had it done way before Christmas. But we'll deal with it. It is what it is. Yeah, but before I turn to the funding fight, just, just to quickly get your response, are you, do you think that support is waning within the conference right now to impeach Biden? No, absolutely not. You look at the facts about what this administration has done from the checks that went directly to him, the LLCs that are set up, the pseudo-names. But, but Congressman, I'm just talking about just the votes. Regardless of what's happened, you talk to the members in your, co your conference. Do you think the votes are there? Oh, to impeach uh, Biden? Yeah, I mean, 
uh, we'll see what uh, there's more that James Comer and Jim Jordan have that will be coming. We've been off for three weeks, mm -hmm. so we'll see what the where the evidence leads. And yeah. I don't know what else people need if we don't have enough already, which I think we do. Yeah. All right. Well, turning out of the funding fight that you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of frustration. Members, you have raised concerns about the deal that was cut. The deal, of course, cut between Speaker Johnson and Chuck Schumer. I want you to listen to what your fellow conservative Marjorie Taylor Greene told me about this yesterday. Have you lost confidence in him? I, I haven't seen anything come out of these negotiations that give me confidence, and that's the problem. People are saying that at home, and they do not want to see our Republican Speaker of the House getting rolled in these meetings behind closed doors. Um, they, that's not what we want to see out of our Speaker. Um, otherwise, what's the difference in you know, you know, Nancy Pelosi having the gavel and us having the majority? I mean, she is concerned there that he is essentially getting rolled by Democrats. Are you concerned that Speaker Johnson, this is not the first deal he cut with Democrats, he's getting rolled by Democrats? Well, we, that's, that's up to us to, to bolster him up and say we can't do that. With me, uh, the top priority is to, to die on a hill is, uh, for is to shut the border down. And my position, no more uh, illegals crossing the border. Put that as a prerequisite to any funding. Why fund a government that's working against the people of this country? And we've got a national security threat with the eight, ten, however many million people that are in this country. It's time to stop. That's the hill to die on. I'm tired of, of saying we're going to deal with it next week. This administration is letting all the illegals in for power to get votes. And well, I'm simply tired of it. And the Speaker has not said if you will actually include those immigration provisions in this bill to keep the government open, maybe even a short-term bill. He may see, he actually may go down that route of a short-term bill. If the Speaker does not include that rider to, to deal with the border on the, uh, uh, to, to keep the government open, if it's that, that's not included, how frustrated would you be if that decision is made? One, it's not going to get my vote. Two, I'm worried about this country. I'm worried about what's happening to it. We're losing, uh, we're losing our republic with letting illegals in that are threatening but every it, American. But is it so, worth shutting down the government over that? I'm not funding a government unless they agree in, in firm metrics to shut the border down. No more illegals. It's that simple, Manu. No more illegals. Do whatever you, you, you know, what we have to do. And if you don't do that, no more funding for anything until we we get the border shut down. Yeah. Now, a lot of the things are still in effect even during a shutdown. Yeah. The, the Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, and, and, and others. But, uh, no, I, this is a national security threat. The time has changed. All right. Well, Congressman, I just want to ask you real quickly about uh, Nikki Haley here in this race. You're supporting her. It's, she's from South Carolina, of course. You are as well. Do you think that if she does not win South Carolina, she can continue in this race? Nikki's going to be in this race. Look, she started out in February of last year. Nobody knew her. The reason she's gone up into polls, she has got authenticity. People like what they see. And, and the, the top issue... Who can beat Joe Biden by the biggest margin? Nikki Haley. She's yeah. the only candidate that can do it. Yeah, the question is how long can she stay in the race? All right, uh, Congressman Norman, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your perspective. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Coming up, the district attorney spearheading Trump's Georgia election case was just subpoenaed. We'll bring you the details right after the break. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Just in, new reporting on the woman spearheading the election subversion case against former President Trump in Georgia. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Wills has been subpoenaed to appear as a witness in her lead prosecutor's divorce proceedings. The development raises questions ahead of the sprawling racketeering case. CNN's Zach Cohen joins us live. Now, Zach, what are you learning? Yeah, Manu, we've obtained a court document that does show Fonnie Willis has received a subpoena to appear as a witness in the divorce proceedings of one of her top prosecutors. But this could be a potential optics problem here because she's also been accused of having an improper relationship with this same prosecutor by one of the co-defendants in the Georgia election subversion case. The subpoena coming on the same day as these allegations were raised in a separate court filing in the Trump case by one of Trump's co-defendants. And they accuse Fonnie Willis and this prosecutor of not only having an improper romantic relationship, but uh, the DA uh, financially benefiting from that relationship going on um, vacations based on uh, the prosecutor's salary. Now, we should note that there is no direct evidence in this court filing of anything improper, of anything that would potentially derail the case itself. But as you said, it does raise questions that, and at the very least, an optics problem for the district attorney, who's really been a target of not only political attacks, but personal threats, violent threats um, throughout her time over seeing this case. Trump and his allies predictably have already jumped on these allegations despite the lack of um, evidence that's been presented so far. Um, Trump weighed in himself yesterday attacking Fonnie Willis directly. So, you know, more fuel to the fire, more criticism as Trump is trying to throw really anything he can at the wall to sort of undermine and erode um, trust in these investigations. As you know, this is only one of several ongoing criminal investigations into Trump. I um, mean, we've seen a similar strategy from him before, but um, this one does raise some questions for the district attorney and the prosecutor's office says that they'll respond in court filings. We've yet to um, hear any sort of pushback real on the record from the DA's office though so far. Hmm. And yet another twist. All right, we'll keep monitoring it. Thanks for that, Zach Cohen. Coming up, if you think there's been an icy reception between candidates on the trail, just wait until Monday. That's when record-breaking cold temperatures will really freeze out the competition. Monday is one of the biggest nights in presidential politics, and for Iowa caucus scores, it will also be one of the coldest. In fact, it could be the coldest night ever, a potential complication for candidates who have spent months working on their turnout operations. CNN's meteorologist Chad Myers joins us live now from the CNN Weather Center. Chad, how bad is it going to be? The wind chill is going to be 35 degrees below zero. Oh. And that is going to be dangerous. Dangerous for people. Now, I grew up in Nebraska. And I will tell you that at 35 degrees below zero, farmers, ranchers, they have bigger things to worry about, like keeping animals watered, like keeping them warm, keeping them alive, than spending a few hours at a courthouse. Trust me on this. There will be a lack of people from the rural areas that actually get there because they have other things to do. Now, this is going to be the coldest on record for a very long time. Back in 20, 2004, it was somewhere in the middle teens. But this is a cold air outbreak. The jet stream all the way down to Texas. They're even talking about big freezes down in Houston. But right here in the center part of the country, 
the really the breadbasket here into parts of Iowa. Des Moines will be 36 degrees below zero at voting time. There may even be warnings out there from the National Weather Service that says if you don't have pressing business or an emergency business, don't travel. So what are they going to do about that? If you get to 30, 40 degrees below zero, there will be wind chill warnings here across Iowa. It's all part of the next system that's coming down and will even get some snow in the next couple of days. So not only will there be wind, 20 miles per hour, not only will there be cold, there'll be snow blowing around across these, especially east-west roads. If you think about Iowa, Nebraska, and most of the Corn Belt, all of the roads go north, south, east, west. Not like here in Atlanta where you have no idea where the road's gonna go and it's gonna change names by the time it gets there. So anywhere that's an east-west road with a cold north wind, that snow could blow some of those roads shut. There's going to be another half a foot to a foot of snow across Iowa over the weekend. Now, a lot of times that won't blow around a couple of days later, but really right now we're already in the single digits and this is going to be the warmest day for a while. This is going to affect her now without a doubt. Yeah. How much? We just don't know. Yeah, unbelievable. 35 below zero. I mean, as a Midwesterner, yeah. I don't think I felt 35 below zero. I don't think many Iowans have either. Really unbelievable. We'll see what happens. Chad Myers, thank you for that. And thanks for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after this quick break. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.